Quality sleep is essential, and that's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So you can choose what's right for you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores. Sleep Number does that. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. In this episode of Boss Files. I did not jump onto this company lightly. I don't just, I don't want to just be the face of a brand that, um, that is not, even, even the brands that I am the face of or am a face of, you know, I take it very, very seriously. Jennifer Garner, from actress to activist and entrepreneur. She's teaming up with John Foraker, the former CEO of Annie's Organic. They're building Once Upon a Farm, a company with a mission to provide more access to fresh and nutritious baby food. And they're committed to sending a message when it comes to culture and family leave. I think leaders in in companies in the future need to be much more engaged and be willing to stand out there on these important issues. Um, And I know that our consumers care about them. This is personal for Garner, who grew up surrounded by generational poverty in West Virginia. There are food deserts, not just in cities, not just in rural America, but in Central Valley, California, which is the garden bowl for the whole country. Nutrition is a huge, huge problem. And it's part of why we have trouble really seeing and understanding poverty in this country because we might see a kid with a little round belly and say, well, they're not hungry, but they are. And as an ambassador for Save the Children, she's working to tackle rural poverty across the country. Here's my conversation with Jennifer Garner and John Foraker. Jennifer and John, thank you for being here. Thank you, Poppy. So Jennifer, just to begin with you, I mean, most people know you for your acting, um, not your business, not as a business leader, but you are a business leader. For you, John, former CEO of Annie's Organics, I will think of you every time I look at my daughter's cheddar bunnies (laughs) now. Um, Together, you've built Once Upon a Farm. Jennifer, what is it and what's the mission? Once Upon a Farm is a company that is making cold-pressed, organic, as fresh as it can be straight from the farm into the dairy section of your grocery store baby food and smoothies and applesauce. And our mission is to deliver um, great, healthy food that is good for the earth, mm-hmm. good, be good to each other, be a mission-driven company, and leave a healthier, happier planet. Be a mission-driven company, John, is something you've written about pretty frankly mm-hmm. um, that you want to focus on even more here than in your last, being you know, yeah. a, a B Corp, for example. How did the two of you meet and start this together? So it's a, fun, it's a funny story. Um, so I, was, um, I had sold Annie's to yeah. General Mills. I was there for a few years. And I was always asking myself, what would, what's the next thing that I would do? And it was, I said to myself, I don't know what it is, but it's got to really touch my heart. And so I was an investor, a small investor in this company that started in 2015. They, had, they were in a few stores in San Diego. Um, and um, Jen can tell you how she got connected with them. But I got a call one day from one of the founders, and, and he said, hey, um, Jennifer Garner is very interested because of her work through Save and all the other right. things she's doing. She really wants to get into the food business in a real serious way. And um, she saw that you're involved and she knew about Annie. So she said, come on down. So I was, um, my my car got a flat tire on the way to the airport. Oh, of course. My plane was delayed. So I was a half hour late for an hour meeting with Jennifer Garner, Lovely. which is like, please. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and so, but um, I got there and um, we started talking about 
you know, save and all these things. And we really talked about social impact and the challenges that families have mm-hmm. getting healthy food uh, everywhere and what, uh, what uh, this new kind of company could do, a purpose-driven company, to drive better access and, and all that. And so we just connected and we had a high-five moment at the end. And mm-hmm. Yeah, it was kind of one of those moments of, look, I'm in if you're in. Okay, well, I'm in if you're in. But I'm not kidding. No, but I'm not kidding. <laughs> and, and you waited for are. him. Luckily, you didn't, like, ditch him when he was 30 minutes. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, of course not. Yeah. You bring up Save, um, and I was going to get to that in a moment, but let's just talk about it mm-hmm, now. This mm-hmm. is your work, Jennifer, with, with Save the Children, particularly in West Virginia, where you grew up, right? All of rural America. But I, you grew up I, in West Virginia. I grew up in West yeah. Virginia, and, and, and really growing up surrounded by generational rural poverty and also having a mom who grew up in rural poverty and who benefited enormously from people giving her a hand up and she ended up going to college and because of that my sisters and I have had you know really adventurous lives and have known that we were going to go to college from you know from the minute we were born Um, but I was surrounded by kids growing up who didn't have that same start and it always seemed really unfair to me so once I was in a position which is so strange to find yourself having a bit of a voice I hunted down what organization had the most efficacy in rural America, mm-hmm. and it was Save the Children. You have talked, Jennifer, about, frankly, feeling powerless when you were a child mm-hmm. and not being able to stand up for those uh, friends and classmates most in need. I have seen rural poverty. I have reported through Kentucky, mm-hmm. and the disparity in this country is enraging, and mm-hmm. it is getting worse. I mean, the income gap continues to grow. Mm-hmm. And you said, Jennifer, at one point, I couldn't stand up for those children when I was a kid, but I can stand up for them and those like them now. What, how do you do that through this company? Well, Save the Children, we really focus on three things. We focus on getting kids up ready to learn and at reading at grade level by the third grade. So we focus birth to eight. Mm-hmm. We um, partner with programs in the community to empower the, the community and to help those kids flourish then from when we hand them off in third grade all the way up through career, hopefully. And we partner with whatever we can find, whether it's a police station, you know, where we work, there aren't boys and girls clubs or things like that. But there is a police station and we, we really partner with schools. And so we're we're just working to draw everyone in to help foster a great community for the kids and then advocacy work. And I spend a lot of time going, you know, state to state and, and well, to the to you, D.C. to um Yeah, you've called advocate. out Congress. I mean, your powerful op ed on CNN.com a year or so ago mm-hmm. here, shaming Congress into it's not. A, it's a social justice. Yeah. crisis. Yeah. How, so how does the for-profit company, mm-hmm. Once Upon a Farm, tie into this? So the passion that uh, when we first met and I saw her passion for these issues and we thought about kids' nutrition in general and obviously I'd been at Annie's for a long time so I had an understanding of what that world looked like. I, thought that I saw this big opportunity to really advance fresh food and make it more available and so from the very beginning, we talked about our mission to do this, not just for people in New York City and in high-income areas, but to make this food accessible to everybody. So we're, do, we're working through our product line to make this food accessible. So help me understand that, Jennifer, right? Because when I buy this at Whole Foods, which I do for my mm-hmm. children, and the average price for a pouch on Amazon is a little over $3, right? Mm-hmm. And so that's not... A, the poorest families in America cannot afford that. Right. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. What are you doing to change that? I know that there's some work that you're doing through the government, government-backed programs like WIC, Women, Infants, and Children. 
Well, in order to be, um, in order to even qualify for WIC, you have to bring the prices way down. It has to reach a certain price point. So we are continuing to have it be organic, fresh, you know, cold process, all of these things. But we're also, we're simplifying um, some of our, our formulas so that they are even more simple and will be very, very affordable, not just for WIC moms, although we will be hopefully the first, you know, hopefully we have to go through the process, but the first um, to qualify. Yes. But that, I mean, isn't that a problem, what you just said, the fact that food has to be X amount or, or this cheap to even qualify? So the people that need the healthiest food that may be more expensive can't even qualify for it. Well, but then they'll they'll have us because we do care about them very much. We do care about these women and these moms and these kids, and we believe that their kids have just as much of a right for this fresh, healthy start as um, of course as our they kids do, do, right? Yeah, of course. I mean, Warren Buffett calls it the ovarian lottery, mm-hmm. right? Determining yeah. where you're born, mm-hmm. and these kids have no say over that. Um, you you as you lead this, John, I wonder what the lessons are learned from. Annie's because you've written pretty candidly about wanting to create uh, a company that's better and you you talk Mm -hmm. about mistakes that you made along the way. Yeah, So um, I believe in learning learning from your mistakes and being honest and candid about them and there's things that I wish I had done at Annie's that I didn't do like um, putting a paid family leave program in for our for our employees. We had at Annie's um, these amazing moms that worked for us and built this brand. And then I think of the challenges that they had when they had their kid and they had to deal with all the issues of figuring out how to gap coverage and all that. Mm-hmm. Um, so one of the very first things that we did is we um, developed a paid family leave, um, family medical leave program, put it in place. Um, it's basically 12 weeks for the the father and the mom, and then six weeks for the recovery for the mom. So fully it's 18 paid. weeks, fully paid. Um, and you know, only 13% of companies in the U.S. do that. And actually, in the in the world, the U.S. and Papua New Guinea are the only two that don't have cash benefits for mm-hmm. parents, which is crazy. So we we want to lead there and be out on the front edge of that. And we think there should be legislation around that. And we think there's a lot of bipartisan sports for it. So we want to be a company that stands for that. I totally agree. I was lucky enough to have paid leave here. My husband had three months of paid wow. leave from his company and took it, which wow. is rare for mm-hmm. dads. So mm-hmm. bravo for doing that. In Congress, I know you guys uh, are supporting the Family Act, Mm -hmm, uh, Kirsten mm -hmm. Gillibrand's legislation. Mm -hmm. I interviewed her about it two plus years ago. It hasn't gone anywhere. I mean, you say there's this appetite in Congress, but Jennifer, Mm -hmm. I wonder, as someone who's been to the Hill and has testified and has spoken to to members of Congress, is there really an appetite in Washington to truly get something done? Because the Family Act is a tax. Mm -hmm, It would be a tax mm -hmm. that we all pay. Um, And I just, you know, uh, Marco Rubio has a different proposal, for example. Do you believe that enough lawmakers are going to come together and actually get something done for the moms that aren't me and you, by the way? We don't need paid leave, okay? But we get it. Mm -hmm. So what about the moms that really need it and the dads that really need it? It is so, I I don't know how anything gets passed, honestly. I mean, it's just like a hung jury in a way. And um, so, yes, I think there is an appetite for it, but I think that the agendas are all battling. But what I am even more concerned about is that the Family Act doesn't even touch the lowest rung. I'm really fascinated by how we then help families um, for whom work isn't even a possibility. Right. You have said before, Jennifer, how you do anything mm. is how you do everything. Mm-hmm. What do you mean? I don't jump into things lightly. And when I do, um, I, I do it with my whole heart. Um, I take my job, I consider it a job, with Save the Children um, very, very seriously. I was in Arkansas last week. I was in Lake Los Angeles a week before that. I was in... Um, you know, remote Washington state 
a couple of weeks before that. I was in D.C. Wow. before that. So I, I take it as seriously as if they ask me, I go if I possibly can. And I make it fast, you know, because I feel the same way about motherhood. Well, and, you also want to be, I know those you know, days, you know, in in the morning, out at night. Yes, and I feel the can. same way. Um, I did not jump onto this company lightly. I don't just, I don't want to just be the face of a brand that, um, that is not even, even the brands that I am the face of or am a face of. What's in your wallet? What's in your wallet? (laughs) I I take it very, you know, I take it very, very seriously. So what does that mean your role is in the company today? What's sort of your day to day, week to week? Everything. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We have a small company with their 35 employees. We all are utility players. We have we all wear a ton of hats. And I, I love being in at the beginning so that I am emboldened and kind of forced to jump into the fray um, in a world that maybe in the beginning I wasn't as comfortable with. But I am comfortable and confident in what I the need that I see and the mm-hmm. problems that I see us solving, which are, you know, this whole new way, this whole new category for babies and, you know, infants and toddlers. But because my kids are 12, 9, and 6, I'm the one saying, you know, great, let's expand our baby line. Let's go. Let's let's do all of that and move for up a, into so toddlers. But let's move into lunch boxes as well. So you think you're going to have food for uh, kids, teenagers, yeah, adults, it's the adults next one day? Well, uh, lots of adults. Lots are, of adults are eating our pasta right now. Lots of adults are eating our pasta. <laughs> I think I read that you mix it with champagne or someone did that. <laughs> that is possible. But a lot of people just have it, you know, in, in their bag and have, you know, for mm-hmm. a snack. I know a lot of my hair and makeup friends uh, between jobs will have a little <laughs> have a snack. But you do see the expansion. It, so I mean, you, you, the goal is, is a far yeah. bigger oh, we're, we're already doing it. We have yeah. smoothies in a pouch that we launched right at the very beginning in May. Those are doing phenomenally well in places like Target and Whole Foods. And um, so really just getting them out there and turning it into a, a kid nutrition brand, really baby all the way up to about age 12. And then we know a lot of adults are going to eat some of these products, too, because they're just real food, mm-hmm. fresh, real food. More from our conversation with Jennifer Garner and her Once Upon a Farm co-founder, John Foraker, after the break. The baby food market is very saturated, I know, because I live it. Whether, you know, I make food sometimes, I buy food sometimes. My friend just launched Yumi, this Mm -hmm. yummy Mm -hmm. Yumi, I'm sorry if I'm saying that wrong, that's fresh, direct, you know, ordered Mm -hmm. to your house. It's saturated. Mm -hmm. How do you win? What makes you different? Um, There's so, there's a a lot of uh, players that are going at this angle of like, how do we disrupt and bring fresher, healthier alternatives? But it's just starting the fresh baby food business should be a much bigger business than it already is. You, there's, there's fresh pet food in almost in over 18,000 grocery stores in the U.S., but you, up until September last year, you could only find fresh baby food in 300, and it was mostly us. Wow. And so, I mean, we do love our dogs. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> talking about our kids dogs are great. But we're, we're in about 8,500 doors now. So the way we're leading is we're bringing the, the best, widest range of products. We're going straight to retail because we think that it's really important to be super convenient and also affordable. And um, I think a lot of direct-to-consumer businesses and subscription businesses will end up being successful in this area too. But we want to be widely available with a broad assortment in dairy where, where we are. And we're also, we just announced, really starting to invest in coolers in the baby aisle where we know that those moms and dads are shopping, we want to make sure that we've got a broad assortment of fresh food for them there as well. When you, Jennifer, are in rural America and Mm. you're doing your work for SAVE, Mm -hmm. just talk to everyone that's listening or watching about the nutrition aspect of that, because that's a lot of the reporting I've done in rural America, but also in cities like Detroit, where they can call parts food deserts, where a lot of the poorest families don't have access to healthy, fresh 
food. Um, how does that exacerbate the poverty epidemic in this country? There are food deserts, not just in cities, not just in rural America, but in Central Valley, California, which is the garden bowl for the whole country. Right. You know, the, the parents of the kids that we serve or the, the families that we serve, they're out growing and nurturing the, the food that will serve our whole country. And meanwhile, their kids eat only what they can buy at a 7-Eleven. So um, nutrition is a huge, huge problem. And, and it's part of why we have trouble really seeing and understanding poverty in this country, because we might see a kid with a little round belly and say, well, they're not hungry, but they are. They're actually really hungry. Really they hungry. just are not getting the, fed the right nutrients. So their body kind of swells up the way it does if you, if you only have fast food. Can you tell me a little bit about, you said your mom grew up in poverty. Uh -huh. mm -hmm. Tell me a little bit about her um, and that and how that shaped you. Oh my gosh. Well, my mom had a joyful upbringing and that shaped my sisters and me more than anything. Um, she is the first one to say, girls, weeping may last through the night, but joy comes in the morning. I mean, <laughs> she's like, you can cry about this now, but let's get over it and get on with it. And she, um, she grew up, you know, singing songs and playing jacks and doing Bible verses and reciting poems and while they did the chores. And that set her brain up for school so that when she got to school, she was ready to learn. Her neurons were firing. Her brain was exposed to all kinds of talk and play and laughter and poetry and words and vocabulary. And so she was able to succeed. And, and her upbringing enriched ours times a thousand. I think it's part of why I'm so passionate about my kids knowing where food comes from. Because she was on a farm, I want my kids to really have their hands in the soil. You bought the farm. I bought the farm. In Oklahoma. <laughs> like, you literally bought I the farm. I actually literally <laughs> own the farm. But it doesn't feel, my uncle and aunt still live there, so it feels, it's their farm. I'm just, you know, I just said to them, by the way, guys. I'm I'll, buying this. I'll buy it, but now we're going to turn it into a real I farm. I was just going to say, so are any, I mean, is there any tie to the business where you might grow some of the produce on the farm? Uh, we were just we were there just last week. There. It was so fun. We were just there last week planting. So yeah, so that's a yes. Yeah, it is a we, yes. We planted fifty persimmon trees, um, seven hundred blueberry, blueberry bushes, plants, mm -hmm. and we have squash going in. It was so exciting to watch my mom's farm coming back to life. Do you guys have a position on John the government's role and what the government's role should be, and whether it should change when it comes to providing more nutritious food for children? I mean, I know it's not core to your business, but. I mean, right. it seems to be core to your ideology. Yeah, no, it is. I, and I think that the programs, the current programs that are out there, WIC and SNAP, like those programs need to be more focused on getting better nutrition mm -hmm. um, into them and also making sure that there's access to the right information um, through those agencies to be able to educate. A lot of it's education and awareness mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. then accessibility. So it's a very complicated problem, but we think that society should be doing much, much more to get better quality food to those populations. And we hope to be a small part of that solution, really lead on it. What are you prepared to do? Well, I think we've talked a little bit about one of the biggest things already. I think we can make a big statement by making fresh food available um, under the WIC program nationally to all the moms and dads that are um, in that program. 75% of the people in WIC are below the poverty level with an average household income of $17,000, they don't have money to go out and buy a lot of fresh produce and all that stuff. We can make it accessible, which I, I think is our vision, and I think we'll be able to do that. That's a big um, statement. These moms teach me, by the way, when I go grocery shopping, when I'm out you know, with saving yeah, yeah. children, I say to one of them, can I go with you? And they are putting together 
food stamps, WIC, they're figuring out, okay, um, on Tuesdays the, the, the food bank is full, so I'm going to get this from there and this from there. I always say to them, you would be running a company if you were born into my family. Do you tell your kids about this? Because I think often about how do you raise kids in California or for me in New York mm-hmm. um, that have a life of privilege, understanding how lucky they are. Not becoming spoiled. I don't spoiled. think you can tell kids that they are lucky, and I don't think you can tell them not to be spoiled. I think you have to live that way. That's my belief. I, I, I think it's really hard to hear over and over, you better be grateful, you better be, you're so lucky. I think my kids see it happen. They see their dad. They see me modeling kind of service, and they see it in the the larger work that I do, but they see it in like, hey, let's go take dinner to so-and-so from church or let's, you know, you have to model it in like in in, in little circles rippling out into the big world. Live you it. can't just, it can't just be one thing that you right. do that, that they see. It has to be an overall conversation they can be involved in any day. Let's talk about the culture. Uh, it's a, mm-hmm. only 35 people, right? right? So far. So fun, but yeah. expanding. We're nimble. But growing fast. <laughs> there you go. What, <laughs> what is the culture and who do you hire and who do you not hire? So one of the, um, at Annie's, one of the biggest mistakes I made was I didn't define our mission and values early enough. Like I was there for a long time and it was in the mid OOs I did that. And then our business took off because it helped us really define who we would hire, or how we would act with each other. So when Jen and I decided to get together here, we said one of the first things we're going to do is define that. Mm-hmm. So we defined our mission. We did. We, we sat down we sat and had down. a whole meal and we, just like, we wrote, wrote it out, out. wrote out our core values. So mm-hmm. honesty, integrity, um, being a company that will stand up for social justice and positive social change, um, treating people with respect, even our competitors, all these things. So we have a really strong set of core values, and we hire people that we know will represent those. Ken, Kendra Scott, uh, if you know who she is, who is this amazing success story uh, of building a billion-dollar company, um, told me last week, being nice is overlooked too much in hiring. She said, mm. Jennifer, I, I hire more on heart than on resume. Mm. When you guys are looking at bringing in people to the company to grow it, mm-hmm. is she right? Yeah, I think absolutely. But you have to understand, we have the benefit of everyone who's ever worked for John adores him and would follow him anywhere. So he's, <laughs> That's nice. so um, we have a lot of uh, people that from there. I- I'm benefiting from, you know, from his great reputation. No, Jen's helping me hire some really great people too. You're That's hiring. the truth. Yeah. You're hiring. <laughs> okay. Together we're, we're getting we have a some incredible talent. Team. Yeah. A lot of parents. Let so. me ask you about that. Because you outlined, you know, your mission and what the company stands for and your culture, increasingly we are seeing CEOs of big publicly traded companies speaking out on social issues, yeah. whether it is immigration, LGBTQ rights, etc. You've spoken up, John, about immigration, child separation at the border, dreamers, paid medical leave, family yeah. leave, etc. Um, do you see Once Upon a Farm, this company, your voice as one that will become increasingly outspoken on these issues that can be seen as political issues? And what is the role of a company today yeah. in making their voice heard? Well, I, I, ho- I hope that we have the platform that we can actually speak on things we care about. Like on immigration, it, the reason I was speaking on that is because I'm in the food business. I understand who's growing our crops, where it's coming from, um, how those families are being impacted by these policies. And so that's why I stood up on that issue. But I, I think it is... I think leaders in, in companies in the future need to be much more engaged and be willing to stand out there on these important issues. Um, and I know that our consumers care about them. I know we're, we're most of the consumers that buy our products, 
really are in our camp on these issues. And millennials? So we're, we're, yeah, absolutely. Millenni- is that the core of your... Uh, millennials is our big... Millennial right. parents is the biggest emerging group of consumers. And they, they're, you know, on the issue of dreamers, which I wrote about, for example, there's wide, it's, it's, it's wide bipartisan support. There's wide popular support that there needs to be something done. Except wait, say, nothing has gotten Exactly. Done. That's the frustrating thing like we talked about earlier. But that doesn't mean that companies shouldn't stand up for those things and, and, and be heard. You know, uh, I mean, I remember, Jennifer, it was just maybe five years ago that there is no way that a public uh, mm-hmm. CEO of a publicly traded company would come out and speak on these divisive mm-hmm. issues. They'd be mm-hmm. too scared mm-hmm. that their employee base, which is not all aligned with one political view or another, mm-hmm. would uh, lash out at them, would be unhappy, et cetera. That has totally changed. I mean, what's your view now that you are a co-founder of this company being outspoken on these issues? I think that you are absolutely allowed to have a point of view. And I think that as long as the the bulk of the company feels the same way. The company can have a point of view, certainly if it affects people who work for us. Um, I I personally try not to put a pin in anything with too much force because I work on both sides of the aisle for Save the Children. And as -hmm. as an advocate, I need to keep all lines of communication open. But when it comes time to campaign, I don't shirk from that. More from our conversation with Jennifer Garner and her Once Upon a Farm co-founder, John Foraker, after the break. When we look at what has happened in terms of women and women leading companies, the last year and a half has been pretty disheartening. We've actually seen the Fortune 500 companies. Now We now have 25% fewer female CEOs. Five mm-hmm. big-name women, including Indra Nui at Pepsi, Meg Whitman at HP Enterprise, have all stepped down. All of those CEO roles held by women have all been replaced mm-hmm. by men. How important is it for you now as a female business leader, Jennifer, to have more women represented at the top? It's so very important, and I think that our paid family maternity paternal leave yeah. is is a huge part of that you have to make it possible for women of a certain you know all of the women who are coming into their power are also coming into motherhood at the same time it's yeah, part of what makes true. it so incredibly hard to make these decisions to keep moving up and john called us early on and said there are a couple of great women here i want to give a big promotion to and i feel hmm. like we need to be promoting from inside and it's great i couldn't be more thrilled one of the amazing things that i watched happen here recently mm-hmm. in the last six months is two of my colleagues um, on the air, anchors, reporters, were on maternity leave, and they both, John, got uh, promotions while they were away. Wow. And I think that speaks to our management, that right? That gives me chills. That's um, awesome. really But great. it sends such a message yeah. to, to all of us. Um, how do you see it as a male leader of this company who admits that he's made mistakes on the yep. family leave front before yep. Yep. Um, elevating women? Well, I always think of um, the leaders that we've brought into our company, and we're probably 80% women in the company now, and the senior leadership team represents that too. I, I think they're such powerful, smart, capable people. They should run this company in the future or other companies. And so I always think of investing my time to help develop their skills mm-hmm. and 
give them the best opportunity to succeed into whatever, wherever they want that to go in their career. Um, I sort of hate the term work-life balance, mm. but only because for me it's not a balance. It's a constant juggle. Yes. Like yesterday work outweighed I was not a great parent yesterday, but today I hope I'm going to be a better one, right? And sometimes work takes over and sometimes family takes over. You guys talk about that, and here's one thing that I read on, on your website that struck me. We dream of a company filled with coworkers. We're happy to spend time with every day that offers a balance between work and life that every parent needs. How are you, Jennifer, working to actually create some semblance of work-life balance for people. And what does that actually mean um, that companies can and should do for them, their are employees? Are you asking about my specific work-life work um, balance? The, no, the no, 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 the company. What are you guys doing leading the company to contribute to that? I think that we are flexible. I think we're, you know, I think that in order to be a, a successful working woman and have any semblance of balance, mm -hmm. you need to have a certain amount of flexibility and a huge amount of trust. Hmm. Yep. We have um, uh, unlimited PTO, unlimited days time you off. You do. We're one of those one percent of crazy companies that have that policy. Who but, else? Who was that? Was not, that Netflix who did that? Netflix. Yeah. It's not actually crazy. What it actually is is an affirmation that your people are really talented and they can manage their own time. <laughs> and so we're just a performance culture. We say, here's what we want to do. We want to do it together. I trust you as much as a, uh, as a person to make decisions about how you use your time. So how much vacation do people take? They, you know, they end up. We, we've only done this now for about a year. I don't We're know. Brand new. Yeah. They don't abuse I don't, it. I don't, I, no, they don't. Absolutely don't abuse it because your culture draws in. We hope to draw in the kind of people that wouldn't abuse it. Mm -hmm. And and I think that's where that's where you give people credit for being competent, capable, and managing their own time. And the challenges that they have balancing their personal life. It's difficult for everybody. Um, are you a father? Yes, I am. Four I think kids. I saw some yeah, yeah. Four, wow. Good Four, for you yeah. guys. Yeah. Oh, I have two in them. I don't get any <laughs> sleep. Um, how has being a dad shaped how you lead this company? Oh, um, in, so, in so many ways. Um, understanding the challenges that parents face. Um, you know, my kid, my youngest is 12, now my oldest is 25, but I remember when I had that whole pack was at a much smaller age and we were a public company and mm -hmm. all this stuff. And I remember the challenges of it. It was, it was brutal. And I also, um, I was, my, my wife was working as well. She's an educator and her job allowed her some flexibility. And so we managed it together, but I, it gave me a real deep empathy and understanding for, first of all, how awesome moms are and like, <laughs> Like what Thank they can you. do, <laughs> it's true, and and so um, that's that's really um, impacted the way I think of our company and what we are trying to do for moms and dads out there, and to be a real support for them and a help. And and I dads, it. I mean, how awesome dads are! Like yeah. giving paternity leave mm. is yep. so helpful to the mother, by the way, because they can go back to work feeling totally. like they have that yeah. that that's support. That's part of the whole reason that we exist is that I made my child's baby, my children's baby food. I had help. Cleaning, steaming, you know, <laughs> worrying. It's so much work. So Freezing, much work. keeping track of what you've frozen. It's a whole thing. Sometimes even with help, I couldn't get it done. Yep, me too. But when you open a jar of baby food that is shelf stable and is like months and months older than the baby you're feeding it to, everyone, it's like a joke. You would be like, oh, you want some baby food? Eh, no, no way. Meanwhile, though, we're all willing to say, oh, my dog has human grade food. You could even <laughs> eat my dog's food. But this is, this is solving that problem. So it's a way for when moms are going back to work or when moms are harried, but they still want to give their baby that 
really great, wholesome, fresh, real food, we can do that. That's part of why we exist. What's been the biggest um, lesson? For, is this the first business you've run? I think it is. Well, I mean, I had an ice cream business when I was little. I had a baby, <laughs> C&J babysitting, C&J ice cream. Um, LLC, so, S Corp. <laughs> yeah, we were a B Corp, please. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, other than those, this is the so first So what has that been like for you? What has been the biggest lesson learned, the biggest curveball? Oh, easy. Find a leader and follow. Find a partner and stick next to them. Mm-hmm. I mean... And that's been John for you. Yeah, absolutely. Mm -hmm. What have you learned from her? Oh, I've learned so much. Um, First of all, lots of factual information, deep understanding of these big issues. Because did you make baby food for all four of your children? No. Yeah, my kids were older. We weren't really doing that. But um, we were probably buying the first organic baby food that was on the market, though. But Mm -hmm. um, I've learned so much from Jen, just like passion, how to to influence others, how to... um, how to just bring um, a, a true energy and excitement that permeates the whole organization. It's incredible the passion that she has and how it influences our culture and our people and our brand. And we have a great partnership, open and honest dialogue. When, she, when we're doing something that she doesn't like, she tells me and vice versa. And it's really great. And we go out and we do a lot of customer calls together. And it's just like the most amazing thing ever. Uh, I want to talk a little bit about this moment in America, the Me Too, mm-hmm. m- more than a moment, a movement, right? Yep. A sea change. I hope, hope it's more hope, than a moment. I yeah. hope so, right? I hope the world, my daughter grows up and, mm. is, is, and son are far different. Um, how has it affected, changed, shaped how you lead John as a male leader? It hasn't changed much the way I lead because I was never that camp. Like, um, or how you put your head around some of these oh, issues or see them. No, um, I think it's, it's elevated the um, awareness of um, my, myself and other leaders like me about how we have to really put, um, put um, these issues out front and make sure that we're willing to talk about the uncomfortable things about maybe somebody says something, not here at this company, but in past lives, maybe somebody says something about the way somebody appears when they walk into the office or whatever. These these things which would have been brushed off in the past right. because of male-dominant culture. But I think we just as leaders have to be totally embracing that this conversation is real. And it's actually a generational change that is, that is not going to turn back. Yeah. It's um, 20 years from now, five years from now, two years from now, it's going to be more intense than I it is so. now. I hope so, too. I remember talking, you know, six months ago to to Supreme Court Justice Ruth Bader Ginsburg about this. And this is like the path that she has paved for so many of us. Right. Jen, you said um, that you don't want to, quote, let your sisters down in this Me Too conversation. What do you mean? I mean, what do you see as your role as a public as a public figure, as a woman, as a mom? When I say sisters, I mean my colleagues, my peers, my literal sisters. Yeah. Um, I think I I feel like I. I want to be a leader in the movement because I can be, mm-hmm. but I think as much I, I don't want to go out and make huge promises about what I'm going to do, I want to live it. I want to live it and insist on being treated a certain way and insist that women around me are treated a certain way. And um, yeah. Well, it's not, I mean, I was just thinking about it that for you, it, it's dual, right? It's mm. being a leader in corporate America, in a company, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and Hollywood, mm-hmm. with all of these issues that your fellow fellow actors have faced, right? We all face them. Yeah, of course. Even just, even just being the one of two women on a set of, you know, a hundred men, 
that is that is ridiculous. That doesn't reflect the world that we live in. And yet it's all of our own experiences. So just simply the fact that women who have been siloed off and actresses who only see each other at award shows are now gathering to have these conversations and getting to know each other and saying, hey, will you support me as I, you know, Natalie Portman and Reese Witherspoon called me up and said, we're um, Natalie's husband was doing something with the Los Angeles Dance Project. And they said, hey, will you come and support? And I said, yeah, they never that just wouldn't have happened. They wouldn't have reached out to me directly before before and said, we know you now. I mean, I've known Reese for a long time, but they wouldn't have said, will you do this with us? And I said, yeah, I'm getting off a plane that day, but I'll zip and do that. And it's going to be fast because I have to get my kids to bed, (sighs) but I can do it. Yes. You know, has it has it happened to you? Have you been harassed? Oh, you know, I don't need to get into it. I've had uncomfortable moments. Everyone has. But there's certainly nothing that, you know, that is worth trumpeting. Because I um, feel like an anomaly that I haven't. Mm-hmm. I mean, as I interview all these women who've gone through it, mm-hmm. I think it hasn't happened to me. Why hasn't it happened to me? And why should I feel lucky that it hasn't happened yeah. to me? Like, why am I one of so few, you know, when so many people have It hasn't happened have to me in it. that same way. Yeah. And I do think, I do think it's, I think it's luck. I think kind of having an um, an Amish carriage about you. <laughs> luck is a good, no, that's a good, yeah. But I think but it's it luck. shouldn't be that. Mm-hmm. It shouldn't be that. Um, as we wrap up, for both of you, um, neither of you had to lead this company or start this company to make money, right? You took a company public, et cetera. You sort of could have ridden out in the sunset. What do you want John, your kids to say about you one day in terms of my dad built this and... Oh, I think it goes to the improving kid nutrition and really making a difference and and being a company that sets an example for what purpose-driven companies should be in our society. Um, business should play a really positive role in making positive social change is my view. And I want this company to be a legacy that people can remember for that. And my, I played a small role in that with an awesome team. What about you, Jennifer? What I think about this a lot. My kids are young, but I think like when they can talk, what do I, what do I want them to say about me one day? What do you want your kids to, to say? Um, gosh, Uh, my son, um, the other night after church, they had done like a teaching kids how to pray thing. And one of them was pray for someone who's strong. Mm -hmm. And he said, my mom is the strong one. And I pray that she stays strong and healthy and as smart as she is, because I want her to be that way. So if they can just think that, and if this is part of that, I'm good. How how old is he? (laughs) Six. Oh, at six years old. Mm -hmm. Wow. It only gets better and better. You're going to love every minute. (laughs) I also feel guilty for not going to church enough. Because my mother calls every Sunday to ask if we're going to church. And I'm like, "Uh, you know, trying to just like get the kids dressed right now. I did it until they were bigger. And then all of a sudden it was how you do anything is how you do everything. All right. I'll let her know. Who's your hero? Uh, my mom, my dad, my sisters. And what about you? My wife. <laughs> there you go. Guys, good luck uh, on this journey, and thank you for talking to me. Thank you. Oh, thank you so much. Very much. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of Boss Files. If you're a new fan of the show, please go to Apple Podcasts or your favorite podcast app and subscribe. While you're there, leave us a review and let us know how we're doing. As always, you can follow me at Carlo CNN. When you work, you work next level. When you play, you play next level. And when it's time to sleep, Sleep Number smart beds are designed to embrace your uniqueness, providing you with high-quality sleep every night. Sleep next level. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, the Queen Sleep Number C4 smart bed is only $1,599. 
Save $300 for a limited time, only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Prices higher in Alaska and Hawaii. Quality sleep is essential, and that's why the Sleep Number smart bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So you can choose what's right for you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores. Sleep Number does that. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com.